This episode of Does Not Compute is brought to you by Stack Overflow for Teams. Give your team everything they know and love about Stack Overflow in a private, secure environment. Stack Overflow for Teams provides a home for all your team's questions and answers with the power of Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow for Teams helps you keep your team's knowledge out of rotting wikis, email archives, and chat logs. All your team's questions and answers will be indexed and searchable, making them incredibly easy to find in the future. Stack Overflow for Teams also makes it easy to export your data at any time and integrate it with other tools you use via a simple API. Your team is also rewarded for participation thanks to Stack Overflow's famous reputation system. Sign up for a free trial of Stack Overflow for Teams today at s.tk slash does not compute. Stack Overflow for Teams gives your team everything they already know and love about Stack Overflow in a secure, private environment. Learn more and sign up for your free 14-day trial today by visiting s.tk slash does not compute. Well, there's been several new developments since yesterday, so... Yeah, you've been busy. You've been hard at work with uh, a, lot of, a lot of Docker research and practice. Stumbling and, and being confused and... Yeah, research and practice. Yeah. What's cool, though, is that I... So I think I actually said something about Docker Machine. I was mentioned yes in, in the episode we recorded yesterday uh, about having to use eval all the time. And what's funny is that now I understand why that was the case. And the original person that kind of showed me Docker or gave me just like a very, very, very short run through of Docker... Uh, they're like, oh, you're gonna have to eval a lot. Just, just alias this thing out into your your shell and don't even think about it. So when your stuff stops working, just just run this command again and it'll start working. So I was like, okay, that seems weird, but okay. Well, now I know why that is the case, <laughs> and it all it all makes sense. So yeah, you were telling me a little bit about this this morning. Um, basically, it seems like that's actually designed around working with remote hosts. Yes. So it's not so much for running. Not necessarily for running stuff locally. It's it's when you're working with actual deployed code and deployed running on actual servers. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So Docker Machine has it's it's got like different drivers. I, I drivers maybe the wrong word for that. Uh, different um, interfaces. So you could you could use Docker Machine to work directly with DigitalOcean or AWS or whatever other cloud provider you're working with. So. Uh, for example, you can connect to your Docker machine to DigitalOcean and then use Docker machine to um, provision a new server for you. So you can do, I can't remember what the actual syntax is now, but use Docker machine to create an actual droplet in your account, provision it for you, which basically just installs Docker, the Docker daemon, and uh, a few other things. And then uh, it also gives you the ability to use that eval tool. So what you do, it's kind of like if you're using Nanobox or Heroku, you kind of have like an app that you create that kind of lives in the cloud, right? So the project I'm using to learn this is our new does not compute site for show notes and stuff. Uh, and so now I have uh, a container called DNC dash site. So what you can do is you can run, I think it's a Docker machine env dnc dash site or whatever container name and it actually spits out a few different uh, environment variables so it'll be like the url it'll be the port that it's running on and a couple of other things and then it gives you a command to copy and paste so you can just eval that into your basically you're just putting those environment variables into your your current shell and 
from there, Docker, as you're running Docker, Docker compose commands, it just thinks that you're wanting to operate on on that remote host. So in a sense, it's almost like on Heroku where you run a command and you bash dash A for specifying what app. Evaling that information is like you saying, hey, I, going forward in this session, I just want to work on this host. Right. And we were talking a little bit about that earlier. It's it's pretty cool that you can do that. That's very convenient, especially that it'll you know provision servers for you and all that. But at the same time, it, it does seem a little bit risky just to uh, just to be running commands on, on all sorts of servers everywhere. Right. So if you forget to uh, remove those things, it also gives you a command so you can remove those. But if you forget to and you run Docker down, everything's gone. Yep. Uh, I mean, obviously your volumes are still there, but yeah, your site's offline effectively. So yeah, so it's interesting, right? So I think maybe the reason why the original, like the original person that gave me the run through and didn't explain that is because on Mac, like this was like what three years ago, two years ago or something like that. There, that was like how you had to work on Docker. You had to have Docker machine uh, because that would allow you to connect to a virtual server running on your computer. And if you, it's funny because you didn't say, oh, this adds environment variables to your, your session. So I was like, why do, why when I create a new window or a new tab, does this stop working all of a sudden? That seems weird. <laughs> you know, it makes so much sense now, but at the time I was like, it doesn't make any sense. This is weird. This is a strange tool. Right. Well, and I, I think there's the reason stuff like that happens so often where you'll encounter a tool and at first it seems very strange and foreign and like, why would this ever be built this way? This doesn't make any sense. Uh, is is a lot of it is not even necessarily the tool itself, more that the documentation isn't where it needs to be. Because I, I think that's something that that a lot of projects really skimp out on, especially in the beginning, because they just have something that works and and they're so familiar with it that it's like, yeah, this is obviously why this is the way it is, and that just makes sense. And it, it can be very difficult to have that that sort of compassion, I guess and thinking about your users and thinking about people who aren't familiar with it. So when, as a new developer, or as a developer, you discover something new, rather, you look at this thing, and it, if especially with younger projects, this is a very common thing, um, which is why docs are something, like good docs are something that I, I really take into high account. Um, I, I pay a lot of attention to docs when I'm choosing new technologies, when I'm looking at new tech, because it's so easy to misinterpret things and misunderstand things especially when you're you're trying to solve these problems in a reasonable amount of time, right? right? There's so many different there's so many different options out there now for deploying docker things, for just dealing with containers in general, and it, there's so much information that I I need to be able to quickly quickly learn about the strengths and weaknesses of each thing by looking at something like their docs. And and that that is generally I've found a very good indicator of overall ecosystem health. Yeah, I mean docker's docs are there's just a lot of them there's there's very very much docs uh for docker uh docker compose docker machine uh docker itself and then there's like docker cloud and so i think a lot of it comes down to me terminology things trying to figure out what something actually is what it's used for and that's the been the most of my Working with Docker is actually is actually trying to figure out what is this actually for. So, for example, Docker Machine, what is it actually for? So, I noticed by looking through the docs that there were there were um, integrations with DigitalOcean. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And so that kind of gave me a clue as to what Docker Machine might be for. 
And, you know, so I went through and looked at like Docker Cloud and it looked like they were getting rid of their swarm capabilities and a few other things. Uh, I'm not sure why I just saw the notice, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because also a lot of like the blog posts or a lot of tutorial sites, kind of like tutorial roundups. I think that, um, I don't want to say it's a disservice in this case, but a lot of the tutorials are like, here's how you deploy a node app on Docker. But what it doesn't say is you should never do this for a production app. That's such a common thing in, in beginner articles. It's like the, not a realistic thing that anybody would ever actually do for anything more than a hello world. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of the problem here with with researching this is neither of us really have a whole lot of DevOps experience. Most of most of both of our DevOps experience is just because there was nobody else to do it. And we just had to do it at, at some point or another. And I'm sure with as with many things in programming, pretty much everything in programming, once you kind of wrap your head around these basic concepts, all of the all of the tools around those suddenly become a lot more clear. It's like once you understand basic control flow stuff, if else and all that, everything else in any language kind of just makes a lot more sense. With containers, neither of us really have any experience with containers other than, like you said yesterday, like some basic usage uh, with, with just running local stuff, like run, spinning up a, a PG, a Postgres container, and spinning up a Redis container, that sort of thing. And so actually using this and orchestrating an environment is is new, and there's all sorts of buzzwords, and it's hard to figure out what actually means what and what how those things translate between the different ecosystems. Like I said earlier, just term, terminology is a big part of it too for me. It's it's getting it's getting easier. I think it's it's like peeling back the layers. You know, it's peeling back the layers. So you do one thing. Obviously, I'm not planning to host this app long term using Docker Machine for deploys. It works for now, and it's technically working. And it feels cool because I didn't use any sort of X as a service uh, besides, you know, DigitalOcean and, and using like a VPS, but it felt like a, an accomplishment. <laughs> I guess it, I think like what's funny is that it was like three hours worth of work to find like two commands to run. Oh, man. Yeah, that that happens so often where it's just like the, there's a small thing, whether it's a small bug or like just one command that you can't quite figure out. And then you crack that. And really, it's just that one thing, that one line of code, that one command that you had to run. Yeah. But it took hours to get there. And that, that can be such a hard thing to both to explain to other people and to even feel okay about yourself. Like, you'll have some days where you spend most of the day trying to figure out something that in the end, isn't, it was like a, a pretty simple problem. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily, it can be very easy to beat yourself up about that. As as a dev, especially when you're starting out, because you you do something and you look at the end result and it's like, okay, I got hello world to show up in my web browser after hours, and that doesn't feel like anything, but but really that is, it's learning to do something that can be reproduced is is the actual outcome of that, not not the not the hello world or not the one command, but like understanding, having a true understanding of why that thing shows up on the screen or why it, it does what you need it to do that. And that's what really matters. And I think that it's important to keep sight of that. Uh, yeah, it feels good. I mean, I, I tried to just work through stuff as much as I could with just the documentation and not trying to find different articles and stuff like that. It, really. I think when I started reaching for articles, uh, it was more confusing because people, everyone has a different way of describing something and, and they use words interchangeably that might actually not mean what they're trying to say. Uh, and they describe things in a way that may be like completely different than somebody else. So to me, it's like hopping around 
from one to two to three just kind of confuses me more because I'm like, well, that's kind of contrasting what this other one said. It, it becomes difficult to kind of dil- distill that information. So I spent as much time as I could looking up like, okay, what is, what is this, what is this for? So for example, um, a Docker file, like what's the difference between Docker and Docker compose, um, on the tin they're for pretty different things, but then you start thinking about, okay, well in a Docker file, usually at the end you have a command, uh, statement and that command statement runs of runs, whatever function you want it to run or whatever, whatever it could kick off like a shell file. It could do anything. But my, my question was like, what, what is that actually for though? Because, if I'm just building a container with a Docker file and I'm actually using Docker Compose to start my stuff locally, why do I need a command there? You know, uh, and so I started like looking up the docs and taking notes, and the docs do an okay job at explaining like, oh, this command should is like whatever the default is, whatever you just want this to default to without being overridden. That's what that command should be. So whether it's npm start or whatever, uh, that's what it should be. And if you're working locally, Docker Compose might run something different. But if you just run Docker up, Docker compose up, that's what will be run, for example. So to me, I was like, okay, well, instead of having, then it makes, it makes perfect sense that you shouldn't like maybe create and migrate a database there <laughs> that, that should be done somewhere else. Right. But it wasn't clear up front until I was actually able to dig through stuff and find like, oh, this is just your default. It should really just be starting on whatever production server you want to start at that point. Well, I think what you're saying there about looking at the docs instead of reading blog posts or like how-to guides, getting started guides, uh, is really important. And it gets, again, to why good docs are so important. Because especially when you're a newcomer to a technology, um, in, in this case, let's let's say Docker, That's a, it's a great example. When you're a newcomer to that, and you're, if you're just reading blog posts and articles and, and stuff that is opinionated in some way, it can be very, very hard to even know when people are diverging from best practices or, or when authors actually don't know what they're talking about, which does happen like that. That is a thing that there, there is a lot of misinformation about out there about all sorts of different technologies, about everything in general, but being able to weed that out as somebody who is a newcomer can, can be very, very difficult. And official docs in this case are like your source of truth, basically. They're, they're the thing that, that will at least hopefully in the case of good docs tell you, here's here's a good way to do this and here's why it's a good way here's a bad way to do this and here's why it's a bad way yeah, yeah. And, and having an official source for that is something that i i find myself valuing more and more i i would love to contribute more and maybe i keep saying that maybe it's something i should do so i found i found some inconsistencies in in knox docs for example i was digging around this morning uh and i would love to contribute back to that i just to make time for it i guess uh I say that a lot, but we'll see what actually happens <laughs> there. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all part of, part of it. So I'm trying to like segment as much as I can. So, okay, now I can deploy something that's kind of stateless. There's not any sort of persistence layer there. It's the, the app, it really just communicates to the, uh, Simplecast API. So there's nothing I need to make sure persisting and persists across deploys. Uh, and it's, it's safe for me to just wipe the container away and, and redeploy it. So I'm trying to do steps. So, okay, once I get that under my belt, 
maybe instead of jumping straight to the persistence layer stuff, I might be like, okay, well, let me poke around Kubernetes a little bit. Let me poke around Nomad a little bit or like whatever the different options are, you know? I'm trying as much as I can, as convenient as they are, to to kind of steer clear of things like Heroku. And I found a smattering of other ones that are not as simple as Heroku, but some of them are just kind of like wrappers around Kubernetes itself, for example. Yeah, I, I think like if, if in the long run we're going to go with something that route, I would like to have actual first-hand experience with uh, Kubernetes or whatever we choose, as opposed to just kind of jumping in to the SaaS, like the the platform as a service world and kind of living there. I don't know. I think that it's kind of like the whole learning the, learning the framework versus learning the language first thing, right? So I'm trying to take that approach into DevOps. Sure. It's when when you have jQuery developer on your resume instead of JavaScript. It's it, there there is there's like a, a philosophical difference there more than just a um more than just an actual technology difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's a journey for sure. Um, it feels good that I can spend time on this stuff and it feels like it's going to be productive towards design collective, even though this project isn't for design collective and knowing that there's somebody else, they're actually making progress on other things for design collective feels good because that's, I mean, we've never had two developers before. So <laughs> now it feels like it's not, um, waste of time in a sense. I, I struggle with that a lot because most of my career, me being productive is me writing code. And it feels very strange now that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I can be productive reading docs because that goes towards so many other things. I can be productive stumbling through deploying Docker because that could be a big part of the future for Design Collective. And it feels kind of weird. I think we've both have had actually very odd careers in that way um in tech at least i've pretty much always been solo on projects even at the very first dev job i had i i was for the most part just told like here's the thing go go make that reality and i just tried to do that as best as i could and and even at octopus uh, we were both we were both on you know we we worked together every day and we talked about projects but we were never on on the same project at the same time yeah. and and so it was it was always kind of a thing for both of us where it's like okay i need to write the code or there's nobody else to write the code cuz it's just it's just it's literally just me somebody said make this thing and i need to go make it and 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 that's very oddly been been many years for both of us and and now finally being at a point where we're working on a project actually together it, it is super cool that i i spend some time on design and not really writing code for a while and you spend some time on looking at docs and not really writing code for a while and we write code when we need to but it's not it's it's like it's not just the one person and i, I think that's been that's been incredibly helpful but it's also very weird that we were ever not in that situation to begin with it is kind of strange it's very it's funny because i'll, I'll look around on twitter and realize just how different my path has been from a lot of people uh, more often than not, I think that's the case, but I don't know. It's, 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 I guess it's, it's a cool new season to be in. It's also one of those things where it's not always productive to compare yourself to other people. <laughs> and then like realizing that other people in a similar position worked, have worked for corporate like companies that 
had full DevOps teams. And so if they had a question, they could just go to a person and be like, what, how does this work? And that person would be like, this is how it works. Uh, and I'm starting to get that more just off of Twitter connections. Like I mentioned earlier, people just reaching out and saying, Hey, if you have any questions, ask about this thing. And that's, that's awesome to me. And I'm reaching out to other people and saying, do you want to get a virtual coffee sometime and just have a Skype and a coffee chat about whatever it's kind of like building up my network. And I think mainly my network has been front end developers or full stack ish developers. Uh, and my network hasn't really had, had any DevOps people or people that were deep in that area. So I'm trying to not go fishing for those people, but I'm, I'm certainly, um, on the prowl on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it's cool that people are open to, um, doing that, sharing, uh, sharing their time and experience and knowledge. It's really incredible. I mean, that was, that is one of the, there are so many things about the tech industry that I, I really disagree with, with, I really have issues with, but one of the things that I love about it is just how open people are with information, how willing most people are to share and help other people because it's not, it's not zero sum. Like the, the more people who are really good at this, the, the better the industry as a whole is. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, I think developers are, are, are really good or people in the technology industry in general are, are really good at recognizing that, that information sharing benefits everybody. Um, I mean, this is the same within like scientific communities. You, you you see scientists always want to share their information because that benefits everybody, and everybody learns faster, and everybody is able to do more science. And it's it's the same with tech. It's it, everybody benefits, everybody wins when we share that stuff. And it's so cool when you see these tools actually empowering that sort of positive uh, connection in the world. Yeah, sometimes I think about like people people actively talk about or like to talk about things that they're into and they enjoy and i i started to think about how a lot of us programmers or developers or whatever you want to call us we didn't get into it because it was our first paycheck we did it before a paycheck and you kind of go into any other um area like mountain bikers love to talk about mountain biking surfers like to talk about surfing jujitsu people like to talk about jujitsu uh, and I think we also have the benefit of developers like to talk about developing, but also it's our jobs. <laughs> and so we like, we enjoy talking about it and we enjoy, um, educating others, which, which is really cool. And I think that like, that's one thing that I always tell people when they ask me what it's like to be a developer. It's, I always tell them like pretty lucky to be in a field where people in general, people aren't like trying to sabotage other people. Like Jamie was telling me and at a lot of law schools and, and, um, other related fields, you have people like if you forgot your textbook, they'll tear your textbook up or they'll like throw it away or they'll do something to it because you're technically their competition. Uh, and that kind of blew my mind because I was, I've never known that. Uh, because even when I was programming when I was younger, people were like, oh, let me show you how to do this or let me help you out with, with this thing. You know, I've never really known that uh, mentality. Well, the the real reason programmers help each other is because they just want more programmers that they can hire <laughs> to get some of the workload off of them, right? I'm not going to deny that fact. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, I don't know, it, it's cool to, to be in an industry like that. It feels good. It feels um, encouraging. I don't know. There's a lot of negative stuff happening these days and it feels good to get on Twitter and not be mad <laughs> about stuff that I see. Uh, but, but yeah, it's good. It's been... Um, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. And it's funny too, because there's all, there's that thing in the back of my mind, like you could just stay down Heroku and be a lot easier and it would be, but I don't think that's the right path. So it's, it's, it's weird because I don't know if that's like, I think that kind of stems from maybe some imposter syndrome creeping in 
because Heroku does manage a lot of stuff for me, but I don't know. Yeah, imposter syndrome, man, it never, it never ever goes away. There's always, I, I heard, I heard an analogy um, not too long ago, and, and and so if you have a dark room and you have a light and you shine it at the floor, really close to the floor, it makes a little circle, right? And and there's a circle of light, and then there's the an outside of the circle of darkness. Right. And as you as you lift the light up, the circle gets bigger, but the the circumference of the circle becomes larger and larger and larger. And and that's that's the same way in that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. The more that you can see, the more darkness you can also see. The more darkness you can also recognize. And and, and I think that's that's kind of why that's the heart of why imposter syndrome never goes away because you start off and you you have no idea. You have no idea how much stuff there even is out there. And as you learn more and more things, as you start to learn about DevOps, it's like, oh wow, here's a whole other room that I didn't even know existed before. Or it's like I I knew was there technically, but I never I never peeked in the door. And now that I've looked in here, it's a, it's an entire hallway with a whole other set of doors. That's a really really good analogy. The the fact that the inner circle grows, but there's always just it's always the shadow is always there, the darkness is always there growing. It's yeah, it's interesting. It's true. I, I think like I try to manage it with with lists and thinking about how okay, what am I actually afraid of, and how can I minimize that? So. Again, we talked about last episode being paranoid about losing data. Well, there's ways you can minimize that. If you're if you're that paranoid of losing data, you could just toss, you could just spin up a PG instance on Google App, Google App or whatever whatever the EC whatever is for Postgres. You could do that, you know, uh, and then just have your containers connect to it via whatever IP address. That's one way you can have that, handle that, you know, like removing complicated pieces that you're not. Um, comfortable handling you could keep that in a in a in a comfortable place like heroku or like google or something else and then piecemeal kind of move things over one by one and so you have a really good handle on the process as a whole so i thought about doing stuff like that but i think part of it too is it feels weird to be getting paid to think about this stuff because it's never really been a thing i had to do Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the spare chair project, maybe because we we built that on on DigitalOcean, and we had I think we had four different droplets, maybe like four separate droplets. So the DB was on its own. The web we had two webs. Um, search was on its own, uh, and that was maybe you know a bigger a bigger piece. But I don't know. It's feels like a new frontier, I guess. That's exciting though. I, it's always it's always nice to to take something that is kind of a fear or is kind of an anxiety and then crush that fear or anxiety by learning, by learning and doing. I think that's such a, that's such a fantastic feeling. I don't know if I'm crushing it more so like tapping in the shoulder and saying, excuse me. And then it like takes a step to the left. (laughs) That's more what it feels like. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's always been interesting to me. Like this side of this stuff has always interested me just as much as um, the software side of things. I just haven't really ever, needed to dive into it more than you know more than setting up a, a lamp server or something like that well i guess this comes back to like one of to one of the earliest the themes of our show is which is just on-demand learning it, it's yeah. when something comes up that you need to know you have the resources there is the information it exists out there to learn just about anything you need to learn now for free with just some reading and and a little bit of time and effort and and that is that is so powerful, and it's important to keep that in mind that, that that works not just with new programming languages, not just with new tools, but even with entire new fields, effectively. Yeah, 
and it, it feels good because I've, I've been writing and making web apps for a while and all the web apps have the same components, right? So there's like the app instance, there's the persistence layer, there's the routing layer, there's, uh, there's, uh, load balancing, there's like all that stuff. It's always been there. I've just been willing to pay more money to have that abstraction away in a sense. And uh, now it's not necessarily about the money, but in the future it could definitely be about the money because especially on Heroku, it just gets, it gets, it gets expensive. It can get expensive quickly. Uh, and yeah, so it, the money isn't like necessarily the main the main catalyst for this. It's, it's, uh, but it's definitely a factor <laughs> when you're thinking about, I know how much money we make and I know how much money we need to be making. Uh, it definitely becomes part of, part of the equation. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Cause like a lot of times you haven't really been, I don't think either of us have really been in a position where making these tech decisions where, where money was so much of a thing, um, not in like a, oh, money is really important for DK way, but in, in that it was always the customer making that decision. Like it was always somebody else's call and we could make recommendations, but it wasn't like it, it was at the end of the day, it was them saying, okay, we can or can't do this. And, and really right now we're kind of in a position where you can, you are the one making that call. So you're both doing the research and making the decision about that. And I think that does give you kind of an advantage in that way because you're able to look more holistically at both sides of of the equation there. Yeah. Which is technically my job, (laughs) which, which, which is cool because that's, I mean, I think like, especially thinking about as we grow, say we have five developers, I'm definitely not going to be writing that much code. I would like to be, but I'm definitely going to be thinking more about this kind of stuff. How do I steer the ship in the right, how do I keep it going in the right direction? Is there something that we can adopt to get us in that direction faster? Is there something that we need to drop, I think more importantly, to get us in that direction faster? Uh, so I, I feel like I'm getting sort of a taste of that, which is cool because it's 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 a little bit different than being, oh, you have, we raised a bunch of money and now we have 10 employees, now you got to figure it out. Now it's just two of us. So I'm kind of like making that decision, but also doing the work myself, which is, I think, good for me. Good for learning, obviously, but... Progress, I guess, is the way maybe I can describe the last few months. I don't know. Well, I suppose we should should, uh, get back to making progress then. I got to finish up this location search. I need to figure out why this RAM is at 75%. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good luck to both of us. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks to Stack Overflow for Teams for their support of Does Not Compute. Stack Overflow for Teams gives you a secure private home for all your team's knowledge. The days of searching through chat logs, email archives, and rotting wikis are over. Now, your team can harness the power of Stack Overflow to learn and help each other. Learn more and sign up for your free 14-day trial by visiting s.tk slash does not compute.